Welcome back to the Health Longevity Secret Show with Dr. Robert Lufkin. DNA epigenetic methylation clocks are becoming the gold standard in longevity for determining biological as opposed to chronological age. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Elena Budiskaya, CEO of TrueMe Labs, that makes a consumer epigenetic methylation clock for $99. Elena obtained her PhD in molecular genetics at Ohio State University and then studied the genetics of aging at Stanford University, leading her own research program in aging and the effects of genetics, epigenetics, and the microbiome on the aging process at the University of Amsterdam. Health Longevity Secret Show listeners who wish to try the TrueMe DNA methylation clock on themselves can receive a 20% discount by entering the code Dr. Lufkin, all caps, no space, at the TrueMeLabs.com website, and the link will be in the show notes. Now, please enjoy this interview with Dr. Elena Buruskaya. Elena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I, I can't wait to dive into DNA epigenetic methylation clocks and, and hear about all the work you're doing and the, and, and the company as well. But before we do that, maybe you could take a moment and tell a little bit about how you came to be uh, so interested in this fascinating area. <laughs> well, I'm... Um... It's actually uh, did not start in very early early age. Um, although I would start wondering about why do we age like really, I guess um, about age of fourteen or so. And the main reason why was because my grandfather at the moment passed away at age of sixty five, and uh, I was thinking back then. My parents were about 30-something, 30 32, and it sounded like way too close. So I started, and of course, as a young person, you always think your parents are going to live forever. Your grandma is always going to be there. Your grandpa is always going to tell you stories and, and things like that. And that really shocked me. And I, and, I, and I was wondering, like, why did he, not entirely why he died, but why did his last maybe five years of his life was so miserable? And uh, 65 was very young. And then I've learned that my other grandfather on my father's side actually died in the age of 55. And back then I grew up in Soviet Union. So nobody thought twice about this because we won a big war. And uh, a lot of men went to war and they came in injured and and um, a lot of people just were happy to have as many years as they possibly can get uh, from that generation. So to me, that was kind of shocking. And as I was interested in biology already then, I was wondering, like, why? Why do we have to age? Why does it even have to start in the first place? And then why for such a developed country, and I always considered Russia to be a developed country, we live so short um, compared to other Western world, world. And of course, at first, I didn't think about diet. We were going through transition and all the <laughs> um, kind of crash of Soviet Union and perestroika and everything. It was not about that. It was just, I thought it was genetics. I honestly thought it was genetic program. So I went to university. I studied biochemistry, actually, not genetics quite 
um, I get started doing my PhD and I noticed that everybody's looking at what's cancer is. <laughs> so how to cure cancer, how to cure diseases. But in, indeed, aging is actually sort of a cause for most of the diseases that we're trying to cure. So I thought maybe it's worthwhile to look at the cause. So if we can cure aging, we can cure the diseases. So one one kind of bird with one shadow, what the phrase is, I don't forget. <laughs> so that's why I, I joined the, and I actually purposefully went to study this process with Stuart Kim because he was doing, at that time, he was one of the few people who was using genomics and studying aging. So I thought, um, I want to look at everything and how uh, the whole process changes when an animal goes from young to old. And uh, that's probably the kind of where the first interest started at at the clocks in particular. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So uh, clocks, let's talk about clocks. (laughs) (laughs) Clocks are um, becoming fundamental for longevity research. And can you tell us what is a clock and why are they so important for, for longevity research? Well, before clocks, maybe I can do two sentences about why we even uh, started searching uh, and go- digging that uh, area. So if you think about any disease or any process you're studying, you always need a marker that you measure. So um, if you go to, for the physical exam, the doctors measure glucose level to glycerides, and it's kind of like picture of your physiology, right? Do you have diabetes? Do you have high cholesterol? Do you have inflammation? They might measure CRP. So, and then they can correct it. We cannot correct it unless we measure. And for a long time, the only measurement of your longevity was how long would you live, your maximal median lifespan, which we have to pretty much let you live and and wait until you die. So in the human population, one experiment would be a lifetime of one individual, right? So you will never put more than one experiment and you probably will not, and you have to guess how to split the group, which one is a healthy aging cohort and which one is not a healthy aging cohort. So it was clear to me, if I ever want to do experiment in human, I need a biomarker of aging. And then um, uh, we learned about all the biomarkers and blood. So the same story, we counted all this red blood cells, white blood cells, every kind of uh, some markers for liver function, kidney function. And we have this physiological clock that you can do. Like, I think you can put uh, pheno age uh, measures like 10 biomarkers. And based on that predicts biological age. Yeah, that's, think, uh, oh, excuse me. That's, that's pheno age from Morgan Levine, right? Yes. They asked, we'll put yeah. a link to that in, in our show notes for, for our audience and they can enter those values and, and calculate yeah. the pheno age. Yeah. It's actually available online. This would be like, I think it's interesting. A lot of our customers do that and just sort of compared side by side. And of course, in developing that, um, we are uh, like the first person kind of pioneered all this was Stephen Horbath, who 
great mathematician just took all kinds of methylation data sets and started looking through how different tissues are aging and if he can predict the biological age or chronological age based on this methylation profiles. And I think a lot of scientists these days use that clock to uh, in their experiments. And I really like these two lines of work, like measuring biological age based on blood biomarkers and the DNA methylation. They provide kind of two different pictures on the same process. And because DNA methylation is so tightly kind of bound into our physiology, because a lot of what we eat, what we do, how we exercise, what lifestyle do we lead is actually reflected in our basic metabolism and basic metabolism influences DNA methylation. And DNA methylation is sort of like a really quick and dirty mechanism for the, for the cell to regulate its activity. So uh, all the methyl groups that get produced, um, it's like a markers that cells very easily can put in the right places in the right time, quickly regulating up or down gene expression and therefore regulating this physiology. So, so is, it fair, excuse me, is it fair to say then um, the, the genetics, we, our genetic code we get from our, our parents and our ancestors, but our epigenetic uh, modifications through DNA methylation is one of the three types uh, we get from our lifetime experiences, our lifestyle choices that that, and we can we could change that through our yeah, lifestyle. Yeah, in, in way in the way, yes, I I believe we can. I think a lot of um, even gen, even methylation in part we do inherit because it does write down like the body kind of already have an information of, for example, what your mom was doing during pregnancy or what your ancestors did in the previous, in the previous generations. But um, I think that it changes. It's much more fluid than genetics. Genetics is kind of a blueprint of your, of your life, if, if I may use this analogy. And epigenetics is something like add-ons that you are putting in by living a life um, either in a healthy way or not, a healthy way, or if you're doing right things or not right, not so right things, I guess. Um, and I think um, we can manipulate our epigenetics and um, we can hopefully, we can learn more and more about it. So it's a very young field. It's, I would say we know very little. We don't know more than we know, but um, we start building um, uh, this new biomarker said this, like with epigenetics clocks is one of them, but there are also panels for detecting diseases and looking at a different um, metabolic and physiological state. So I think it's, it's just way in the beginning before like we really uh, use it in a full capacity, I would say. Yeah, and the the uh, methylation being affected by the grandparents. We we just had uh, Judith Finlayson in, on the program, who has written uh, a, a book with a great title of "You Are What Your Grandparents Ate," but it basically deals with uh, epigenetic modifications in utero uh, passed on, essentially two generations there. But yeah. the um, the the DNA um, 
methylation that we're talking about, how does that compare to um, uh, other types of uh, clocks for aging, such as telomeres we hear about, uh, proteomics, uh, glycanation? Um, what, what are those measuring and how do they compare with DNA methylation? So I guess the most famous one is, of course, telomeres, just because they've been around for so long. And it's been shown like long time ago that telomeres are shortening as we grow old. And that was one of the hypotheses that when telomeres shortening become very critical, that the whole, um, it triggers the process of the whole body kind of decomposition in some way or the kind of destruction. Um, however, um, it's been shown that, uh, how to say this, um, it does correlate for sure. But at the same time, there was the processes that we clearly think that define aging process do not lead to telomere shortening. And one of them, um, I, I think I, I read an article somewhere that uh, certain um, processes like diabetes, for example, we know that people with diabetes really, um, like they need to control their sugar and level insulin levels and everything. And a lot of them were measuring their um, telomere length and the telomere length was not predictive of the accelerated aging process, like for example. So um, I think the potential there was great. And it might be also depending on like what tissue you measure. Um, so a lot of times the uh, telomeres are measured in leukocytes and blood. And um, a lot of, uh, and, and maybe that's the problem. Maybe leukocytes telomere shortening is not really as um, conductive, like as uh, doesn't demonstrate that widely how fast or how slowly you're aging. But I think the major problem here was, and this is why I'm not really criticizing it too much, and I really would like to actually compare it side by side. I believe that uh, every time we develop a new clock, we don't do like comparative studies against all the other clocks that already exist. And I would really love to see that happening because I feel like every clock has their own space in the in the field. Like, for example, telomere shortening might show some aspect of cellular aging. And then um, Stanford was uh, developed, um, uh, as you mentioned, um, the biological clock based on a protein, proteomics, when they took the, uh, the blood from um, healthy individuals and in the, of different ages and they were trying to predict the biological age. So, again, it requires a lot of work of uh, mass spectrometry to identify all the proteins, but it looks very promising because it's um, uh, based on exactly like a composition. It's kind of downstream of your genome genetics. It's what actually been produced, what proteins been produced and in which form they exist in your body. And then another clock was based on microbiome, which we called another, the second brain, uh, of our bodies and actually microbes do outnumber us 10 to 10 to 1 so it would be foolish to exclude them from the clocks and there is a different companies um, deep longevity as well as Wyom, develop their own biological clocks based on microbiome 
And they also can predict biological age for quite great prediction based on what your microbial composition of your gut. Um, and of course, biological clocks based on DNA methylation. So we have Fenner age I just talked about. Uh, then um, there is a Horvath clock that some companies are actually offering to their customers. So they're looking at um, uh, about 356 sites on your DNA for methylation. There is uh, Elysium Health just rolled out there. Um, panel, it's based on Beth Levine's uh, clock that I was just uh, talking about. It's FNH also. They look at DNA methylation of over 1,000 fragments. And, all, of course, uh, science went even further, uh, becoming very really bold and uh, trying to predict your um, mortality and also the day kind of time to death with this um what is it, grim age i guess grim age, yes <laughs> yes <laughs> and uh, i apologize if i did not mention some other clocks here because there is many of them so i think consumers and uh, and scientists these days have great variety of clocks to work with and and see which one is um, best, but I would really love like to actually compare them all against each other and see um, the strong and weak points of each of them, so we can actually have a very good, make a very good decision of which one to use in which experiments and and how. So each of the clocks that we have available, and we have many different types and many different technologies, seem to uh, look at a different aspect of, of aging, and that, and they may reflect uh, upstream effects or downstream effects of the aging, and that's going to be important when we apply them uh, yeah. to ourselves or, or to research. Yeah. <laughs> now, sort of focusing on DNA methylation clocks uh, in particular, um, the, the DNA methylation uh, is, is uh, a process which when I, first, when I first began learning about it, I thought of it just as kind of uh, aging. It's sort of like rusting metal, acquiring more and more of these. But as I understand it now, it's much more, much more nuanced in the sense that um, net methylation doesn't necessarily change with aging, but rather just the locations of the methylation. So it's not that methylation per se is bad, but it's the particularly the location or bad, but I mean, associated with increased age, but it's yeah. rather the, the specific locations of the methyl groups and the methylation that occurs on the DNA. Is, is that correct? Yes, it's absolutely correct. Actually, methylation is very good for you. It's super useful. And uh, we inherited um, through our ancestors um, a lot of these sites um, where a lot of methylation happened. And those sites of um, very repetitive sequences. And it's actually, they have to be protected by methylation from recombination or from there's a lot of transposable elements sitting there. So if they jump out and start modifying your genome, that was shown to be causing like a lot of age-related diseases like cancers. So um, you sh we should not be thinking about a global methylation as a bad thing. Absolutely not. Um, yeah. And in fact, removing methylation or, or winding back epigenetic 
effects like using uh, like Yamanaka factors or something to do that will actually return this, the cells to a stem cell state, which is something will de-differentiate the cells, which is something mm-hmm. we necessarily uh, don't want to do. Uh, although David Sinclair is doing some interesting work with the, with the mouse model that he just published with the vision loss and then the OSK Yamanaka factors. Uh, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother yeah. area there. Yeah. So um I've heard uh, methylation clocks referred to as uh, like Steve Horvath's clock, his initial one as a sort of first generation clock that was very analogous to chronological age, which while it may have a lot of applications in forensics, for example, it's not really that valuable necessarily on longevity because chronological age you can just get from your driver's license by looking at your yeah. birth date but but the but then the second generation clocks we're seeing now sort of like grim age from from his group also and others or are more valuable because they they reflect uh biological markers of aging and then uh more closely uh, respond to interventions and everything as well um how does the the clock you're, that you developed uh, fit into this whole thing and how was it developed with your with your company? Yeah, so um, when we started, when I started looking at the biological clocks, we had three main ideas in mind. So I did want the biological clock uh, uh, being very robust and um, predict your healthy age, let's put it this way, um, as accurately as possible. It uh, should not be, an, it should be inexpensive to do because we've been uh, uh, pretty much two scientists starting up the company with pretty much zero money. Uh, so we wanted to ma- make sure that we can do it um, ourselves and manage to process samples accurately. And it has to be very easy to collect, so painless for the customers to to submit their sample. So uh, saliva was an obvious choice from the beginning because, um, I don't know, uh, well, you being a doctor, you probably, I don't know how much <laughs> attention do you <laughs> pay to us, but um, I know among my friends, uh, they're dreading to go give blood tests. So I hate they just, needles too. <laughs> yeah, they don't like needles. And for me, this test in the beginning, I, I did not think about this. No, I want it to be as serious as possible, but I did not want people to go through stress of giving blood because they knew they will not retest. And that was the point of following up your aging process throughout your life, like every four to six months you would measure your biological clock to see how well you're doing uh, when you're changing diet or you start new supplements that somebody recommended to you or or things like that. So the first thing we looked at is I pulled uh, all the data sets that were um, associated with aging process. So there are gene expression that changes during normal aging. And we try to look at as many markers as we possibly can, at genes as we possibly can, just to see if 
uh, we can get some kind of tissue, you know, like cross reactive, uh, the same sets that are reacting similar across multiple tissues. So that presented a little bit of a problem, but we managed to um, to settle on uh, from publications, uh, just come a lot of publications and and found um, about four hundred something genes that we uh, settled on. And then, uh, of course, there was a lot of methylation studies published by that day. So again, we pulled all the publicly available data sets. And now uh, with a target in mind, I thought that if the methylation site would be relevant, we put another constraint. So that were, the, site, were those, uh, oh, excuse me, were those 400 sites uh, similar to the, the, I guess, I think it was around 300 sites for Steve Horvath's initial clock? I, I, I wasn't looking at that the, at the time, oh, actually, uh-huh. um, because we wanted to be uh, sort of independent. And uh, the reason for that, why not looking? Um, so at that time, we start, uh, I started seeing a lot of publications come in. Um, saying that the sites, um, what Steve used, uh, he used very un, um, con- not controlled, um, I'm looking for the word here, <laughs> sort of uh, mathematically, um, uh, he approached it from a mathematic kind of point of view. He just looked at everything and devised his model. And a lot of sites, and I heard it from a scientist who used this clock, a lot of sites landed in the dark areas of genome. So it's it's intergenic region that we do not know if they're associated with some genes or not, but they seem to be way in in his clock in the predicting your age. So um, I wanted to be more biologically significant process. So that's why we started with age-regulated genes and I didn't map it to his clock on purpose. Like I thought, okay, let us go through this exercise and see what we found. Um, just, and so we put a constraint. So of course, every gene has multiple methylation side, multiple, we call this CPG islands where the methylation actually happened uh, and already been mapped. So we uh, only selected those that were in the promoter region because we wanted to see if it's actually regulating this gene expression or might be regulating gene expression. And I think on the first path, we also did uh, maybe first axon because sometimes regulatory elements within like when uh, within the first kind of part of the gene in the very beginning shown to be the most important one. But that was a little stretch. We wanted to stay in the promoters, but we kind of lacked it just to include bigger data set. And then we looked through a lot of published data just to see if those sites, which of those sites changed the most across different populations. And we had studies from all over the world. So we had a Korean study published that we pulled in and uh, several uh, study from Great Britain that they had also different nationalities of people uh, submitted their samples. And that was the first kind of pass where we identified um, about 29 uh, sites that we wanted to pursue further. And um, very quickly we realized that 29 was not doable for a bootstrap company. So we settled at nine. <laughs> Uh, that was really like uh, very doable for us at the moment, and we thought we're gonna and and we picked nine that were that shown the biggest effect. 
So we thought, okay, we'll start with nine, um, test it on a healthy population, um, test it, and then roll it out as a first kind of minimal viable product, see how people do, how they test, and we will iterate, adjust, and then uh, slowly introduce the rest of the clocks back in. So first we tested on the published, again, published data. Um, it looked pretty promising. So we had our um, variation from chronological age of healthy individual that was pu- from published data that was recruited through the hospital. So we assumed that those were seen by the doctors and declared healthy. Um, it was about 4.6, 4. 4.5, 4.6 years deviation. So we're like, okay, that's uh, looks good. And then we start just calling friends and family, everybody who can spit in the tube and, <laughs> and give us a sample. So um, uh, we got, we've grown um, about first, about 200 data points we got like that. Um, again, it looked very nice. So we thought, okay, maybe we should roll it out right now as a kit and, and see how it will behave uh, with the wider population where we don't know whether or not they've been healthy or sick or anything and, um, and uh, plan a kind of adjust accordingly as we go. So that's uh, where we kind of, how we started. <laughs> so now our test is nine sites. It's based on saliva. Actually, by last count, our deviation was 3.8 years. So we improved our algorithm. Yeah, and uh, hopefully we can, I am very excited to see if we can start testing the rest of the sites soon and incorporate in our clock. Yeah, yeah it, are there, or how many other sites would you like to, would you like to incorporate ideally or what would the rest of the sites look like? How many more is that? So it's um, it's about, I think it's about ten regions, and uh, and altogether, uh, the whole set would be about thirty two sites, and so thirty two methylation sites. So um, hopefully it's uh, yeah, hopefully it's going to be uh, uh, easy to roll out. But we'll we'll have to change our platform. Um, we'll probably go. Um, more next generation sequencing because that will not be able to um, accommodate that many people. Like, and um, what's the time frame for that? Ari? Is that how soon will that um, be happening? Do you think? Well, we hopefully will start uh, testing. Hopefully, in the uh, by the new year, and then as soon as we have a decent validation report. So I, I, w- I want to say. Um, spring but i i don't want to rush into it i want it sure. to be solid before we roll it out so. and, and just to be clear the the system is currently in use i've i've actually uh tried it myself uh here's the the package it's 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 uh, something that uh, you just provide saliva actually onto the paper you know it's not even a tube and you mail that in it's very convenient to use um for that of the of the sites you're looking at now are they more or less sensitive to to any particular diseases or groups of diseases or is it just sort of overall overall longevity no it's overall longevity um some of the 
Like I can tell you, like one of the regions that we're looking at is associated with integrins proteins and integrins are apparently, uh, we haven't looked at gene expression level yet. Uh, so we're planning on doing that. Um, but integrins are a key part of our skin structure kind of proteins. They involved in wound healing and, and wrinkling our skin and, and tied up in the whole like biological matrix kind of um, um, uh, skin biological matrix, I guess, um, uh, functions. So we have the fact that one of our sites is actually might be regulating a skin aging is um, looked promising, especially after we try to be as unbiased in selection of the sites as possible. So um, um, that's like, I cannot uh, disclose um, without the lawyers being after me uh, exactly all the sites, but yet, but hopefully, uh, hopefully soon. But yeah, we, we did, they are, all the regions and all the sites are very much biologically active, uh, uh, relevant. They're not associated as far as I know, with any diseases, although they might, um, I, I know for the fact that they do change the expression in different diseases. Like we briefly uh, tested this set on, again, published data from cancer patients. And we did uh, see um, uh, like increase in biological agents for some cancers. Uh, not, we didn't test them fall, so I cannot claim everything yet. Um, and I know that uh, some of the patients did disclose that they have um, macular sclerosis. So I know that biological, the biologically they're much older um, that they should be, although they're managing it pretty well. So um, mm. it's kind of, we're, we're hopeful that it will work well. And if we expand it, it will work even better. So, um, but again, we don't try to predict the disease. We just try to predict how well your body is doing at the moment. So now we have, uh, we have clocks. We have a variety of clocks. In particular, we have epigenetic DNA methylation clocks, and we have a, a low cost consumer version that's, <laughs> that's accessible to people. Do you think that, um, these, these DNA methylation clocks will be, is it possible to reverse or lower the biological age as measured by these clocks through things like lifestyle interventions and such? Well, apparently you can. Um, I, uh, I, we have uh, sort of, uh, a few very early adopters <laughs> of this uh, of this uh, technology. So, I want to mention this. When we first launched it, we were proposing it uh, to well, it was direct to consumer product, and we wanted to go direct to consumers, right? But we also did make a bid for a couple of companies that uh, sell either supplements or some kind of nutritional products that's supposed to help your healthy aging. And we had a very difficult sell to the companies in the beginning because the, the whole point of this was you selling a supplement. I want, uh, everybody admits that there is no shoe that fits everybody, right? 
So there is some treatment will fit one person and thus another treatment will not fit another person. So we're offering your customers a kind of a window into their health. Is this working or not working? So they can give it a time, uh, test it. And then if it doesn't work for them, quit and go uh, and maybe change the supplementation, change their lifestyle, do something else uh, about their health. And uh, um, it didn't go with the pharmacy, uh, but um, supplement companies, it didn't go very well in the beginning. And then we did uh, made a very, uh, like probably the best partnership ever with Ponce de Leon Health. And they were rolling out a supplement called Rejuvant. It's a calcium alpha ketoglutarate uh, supplement. And they were really interested to actually offer that. They were so confident in their product that they were really interested in their um, their customers to get this test. And at first, to answer your question, I actually did warn them. I said, I think in the best case scenario, we should expect not to see lifespan extension or reversal of biological age. I think in the best, what we will do, we'll see a slowing down aging clock and your customers will not age at all. So they agreed to that, that it will take that. And we rolled out the program and surprisingly, so now it's been two years since we're partnering and I can see that I do see that if the customers respond very well to their supplementation, we do see reversal of their biological clock. So we do see that. uh, And, um, uh, they did test by other biomarkers. So they did measure their blood, some blood biomarkers, and they do see the improvements in overall health when they're taking alpha ketoglutarate. So um, that was at least uh, a, I can see that the clock is working. So we were predicting their biological age and the start. And uh, it looks like their biological clock does correlate with some other blood biomarkers um, in the in the in at least those customers, and we also did like comparison with Horvath clock with the other company that's selling it uh, more expensive clock. Unfortunately, we could only afford like ten samples, <laughs> no, mm-hmm. but we correlate pretty well with another clocks as well. So we usually predict a little older biological age than Horvath clock does, but. Um, I'm actually uh, uh, in right now in our a couple of our current customers do measure using our clocks and Horvath clocks, and they see the trend is similar. So it makes me feel better that we're in in agreement with the with the kind of a gold standards out there. So yeah, and I think since the Ponce de Leon, the more and more companies are uh, enrolling in this program, and I'm actually very excited about that because. I think they're providing great value for their customers uh, by showing that, look, we are actually not just sell your product. We're actually genuinely thinking that you should know how well you're doing by taking it and, and, uh, and find your best therapy for, for aging. Yeah. It's exciting that, that, you're, you're finding you can slow down the, the biological clock with these interventions or even, you know, some people are even reporting reversing it. Uh, yeah. 
over the two years, did you notice, did the effects slow down at all? Because obviously when you get to reversing your biological clock, you know, I'll, I'll reverse it to, you know, you know, I, you don't want to reverse it too far. You know, I'll take 40, I'll take 30, I'll take 20. I don't necessarily want to go back to 15 or, you know, <laughs> of course that's not really possible, but, but it's interesting when you talk about reversing biological age, um, does it slow down? If you notice it in that two year period, did you, were you yes, able to does. see that effect at all? And yes, it does. Uh, the customers that are taking, I don't know if they disappointed as as much as uh, uh, I I see. Like initially, they start doing something. If it works, it drops very fast. Let's say by five, six, sometimes over ten years, and then it stays there. And uh, I know some of them try to even lower it further, and it doesn't work. And it's again, it's I think I think it's super interesting. Why not? Why if you lower your biological age to, let's say, 46, you cannot get any, any younger than that. So is it your limit? Or or maybe it's like this healthy steady state that we should be focusing on maintaining rather than continuing lowering down a biological clock. So. Yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's, a, that's a, a great thought. The idea of a sort of a steady state that we return to, but just necessarily we don't ideally roll it back continually. And then like you touched on a very key question, uh, if we reverse the clock or, or l- slow down the clock, does that truly affect any underlying aging process? Because I'm, I'm broadcasting here from Southern California where people have been reversing their biological uh, phenotypical clocks many years. I mean, many, <laughs> many times and things like, you know, dyeing their hair, their gray hair black <laughs> makes them look younger by that clock or Botox injections for wrinkles makes their skin look younger, but at a fundamental level, it doesn't really change anything, but it appears there's growing evidence or, or, or there's evidence accumulating that, that reversing these DNA methylation and other physiological clocks can actually reflect significant things about uh, effects on longevity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I heard, uh, well, of course the growing number of published data shown that also uh, people recently, um, for example, was a paper uh, published uh, that um, a certain diets um, like for example, rich in polyphenols, People went on the diet, uh, start exercising, start changing something uh, in their um, general lifestyle and behavior, and they did get biologically younger. Biologically younger, but they also provided some other biomarkers where they're measuring other aspects of their aging, and they also saw an improvement. So this is actually where we're going. Uh, hopefully, we will go next, and I would really would like to do. Um, more like sort of clinical trial study, like whether or not uh, if we take, um, so for example, in a cohort that we already have, when we take a person who self-reported poor general health, 
start doing some intervention, whether or not they're taking artificial glutarate or they went for a diet, certain diet, or they did intermediate fasting and uh, or something else, and they saw a dramatic improvement. And we look at their biological clock dropped down more than 12 years. Actually, we do have even policy. We automatically retest you if you test too young or too old, um, just to make sure that we're actually showing you the your true biological age, and uh, and then um, uh, this this person over son reports that they're feeling good. I know it's it's subjective. I understand that it's just they're feeling how they uh, evaluate their biological health, right? But it's one of the metrics, and I feel like. Uh, of course, there is an effect of placebo. You cannot get away from it. But I think if the person really feels better, that's a good indication that something might be working in the right direction. Uh, yes, yes, yes. And we've, we've uh, interviewed on this program um, uh, Dr. Lucia Ronica from Stanford, who is working with uh, low-carb diets and, and some type of fasting to show reversal of DNA methylation uh, epigenetic clocks. And also another uh, clinician on the East Coast, Kara Fitzgerald, is uh, enrolled patients in her study. And it involved dietary changes, typically ketogenic diets or low-carb diets, and then fasting as well as her program had exercise and some sleep things too. But she showed... uh, uh, three over three years reversal of epigenetic age as measured by the clock they use. They were using a Grimage type clock, but but that was only after eight weeks of intervention in their patients, and that was a randomized controlled trial. Um, wow. It's it a pilot study um, of only only forty patients, I believe, but but at least it it shows the possibilities of what this, what this technology can do. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's particularly great that now individuals can get access to DNA methylation clocks through companies like yours for, you know, affordable prices if they want to begin following their own, their own lifestyle there. And speaking of lifestyle, <laughs> now with all your, your expertise in, in DNA methylation and genetics and epigenetics, and how has this informed your own personal lifestyle choices, Elena, for uh, oh. how you live your life? <laughs> um, actually, quite a bit, surprisingly, because, well, I'm got a full disclosure, I guess, I am... I've been struggling all my life with obesity and it's genetic. Uh, sort of, I'm going against my genes here. <laughs> and um, I have to say that at some point you do buy into all this diet and um, uh, hype, I guess. And uh, when we developed um, the test, this was the first thing I was, I, I decided to test. So I recruited several of my friends who are in different, different kind of body composition. And uh, we decided to test the ketogenic diet. I was determined that seeing all these people, not just slimming down and losing weight, but also claiming to improve 
conditions, the chronic conditions that they developed, I thought it must work. It's like, look at this. This is such a great body of evidence. Like I, I should try it. And again, I have to uh, say like I am uh, clinically, I'm absolutely healthy person. So I decided to go anyway on that diet. So obesity being the only um, issue here. And I measured my biological age before and after, and, and um, uh, after about actually 12 weeks, first measurement was. And so in the beginning, I was about two years older than my biological age. And I was like, well, makes sense. Well, probably I'm as old as I am. Um, so obesity did not affect my age quite yet. So I went on 12-week diet and measured again, and I become seven years older. And uh, I started thinking about, I didn't quit the diet quite yet. I thought, okay, I lost so much weight and I, it must be doing, it might probably ignited some stress response. Um, so I started digging into what other biomarkers I could measure to see if my biological age was uh, indeed much older. So I actually turned out to be, so in that point in my life, I was also very much interested in a microbiome and I'm still am, but then I actually worked for a company that were doing microbiome testing. So I decided to test my microbiome and my diversity went down quite a bit. And I tested with a different company. And that point was very young company, Viome. Right now, they are probably one of the best in the market. And I use them a lot. And the same story, they showed me that my diversity on micro, microflora goes down dramatically. So I tried ketogenic plant-based diet. I become even two years older than that. And uh, diversity improved a little bit. But again, it was not as good as it was before. So I quit that nonsense and uh, and went back to like more plant-based diet and then practice uh, intermediate, start doing intermediate fasting. Well, I probably not fast long enough to impact um, my weight as much, but my definitely my health improved quite a bit and my diversity of my microbiome improved a lot. And uh, I'm right now actually... Uh, five years younger than my biological age, surprisingly. Primarily so, from the fasting, not not yes. diet per se, uh, just controlling when you eat, not what you eat. Is that right? Well, I do uh, not eat that much of red meat, although it's um, it, it's hard for me. I I guess I'm also, this is another thing. A lot of people just jump into vegetarian kind of lifestyle uh, again, measuring your biomarkers, uh, you can find out you cannot, like I cannot be vegetarian. I cannot, for some reason, absorb iron from anything but red meat. But eating red meat maybe once a month is more than sufficient for me to <laughs> keep my healthy iron levels. Uh, but yeah, I'm trying to be more like Mediterranean type of diet. So more fish, vegetables, less meat. Um but yeah, I try not to stress too much what I eat. Just eat good food, cook as much as I can at home. Um, and then I just practice intermediate fasting. So that's kind of what I do. <laughs> uh -huh. Any uh, any particular supplements or, or drugs that you recommend? Um, so I, I do, uh, again, I, I 
try to satisfy my second brain. So I do follow right now all the recommendations that Viome give me just to test it out and see how it works. I experiment all the time, actually, on, uh, on, on that. Um, and uh, I do take um, alpha-ketoglutarate. So I do I, I, I start taking that um, as well, um, just because I wanted to. We see such a great results that I wanted to test it on myself. <laughs> so that's the only two things I'm doing. Uh, with your interest in longevity, so so no uh, NAD supplements or resveratrol or metformin or rapamycin. Um, no, no, it sounds like what you're doing is working for yeah. you as it is. That's uh, that's great. Yeah, what what have been the any any what's the most impactful thing you've done? Do you think to improve your 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 health overall with your lifestyle? Well, this is, was surprising that um, this combination of looking after your kind of second brain <laughs> and uh, looking after um, and doing intermediate fasting so far hmm. has been um, really impactful. I, I, I still need to measure um, the, uh, the effect of alpha-ketoglutarate in my health. Like it's still coming up. Uh, uh, I just, uh, I did it before, but I recently kind of introduced it again in, into my regimen. Um, I feel that staying positive, uh, also um, having exciting life. And uh, like for me, it was developing something new and um, um, <clears throat> kind of, using my brain also to kind of develop a new tests uh, or new ways of where we're going uh, with this empowering people. I think it's kind of gives me a purpose in life and also satisfy my social kind of <laughs> circle and social interaction. I feel like we uh, maybe focus sometimes a little bit too much on what to, um, uh, what to do to extend our healthy years in with pharmaceuticals i think we should more like listen to your body uh, listen to our body and uh, kind of listen to what it tells you and go with that so um that's what i'm i don't know i think this is when i stop worrying too much about like excess weight or stress at work or something like that and just do what i enjoy i think my lifestyle improved quite a bit that's that's great advice uh how can people follow you on social media or can you give us the website of your company? So, uh, yes, the website is truemelabs.com. Um, and without www in the beginning, just truemelabs.com. And we also have a True Me Labs uh, group on Facebook and Instagram uh, where we're trying to find uh, the, just right now publish new things that we <clears throat> find uh that our customers sharing with us on what's affecting aging and how well uh, they feel or uh, maybe current studies. I'm trying to report on that as well. Um, we should be more, I should be more active on social media. So for sure, but we're very responsive. So if you have any questions, we will answer <laughs> any questions you get either through our website or through social media channels. So um yeah, and uh, hopefully more will come soon. So we're just growing our team. Uh, and we, I, I hope that 
as a scientist will grow more products and go to next level, um, the marketing team would actually be reporting on that and keeping our customers up to date. What we do. Thank you so much, Elena. It was great to be able to spend an hour with you here today <laughs> and, and hear about the exciting work you're doing and, and uh, the work that you're doing with your company as well. And uh, I look forward to staying in touch and, uh, and hearing about the new developments coming in the, in the new year as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was very nice to talk to you about it. Yeah. No, this is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking of it because of something you have seen here. If you find this to be of value of you, please hit that like button and subscribe to support the work we do on this channel. Also, we take your suggestions and advice very seriously. Please let us know what you'd like to see on this channel. Thanks for watching and we'll hope to see you next time.